This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Yes, it is time again for the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer here. Shannon, welcome to the Hot Stove. This will be a fun one. We have a very, I think, interesting show lined up tonight. One of the Mariners coaching staff hires that went under the radar a little bit was Tommy Joseph, who's an assistant hitting coach for the Mariners. So we talked to Brant Brown a little bit about hitting last week, and we're going to dive into it with Tommy Joseph this week, a little more hitting. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I have been so intrigued by what they've been doing with the coaching. Yeah. And one of the things that we saw was there was just no turnover for a few years. And even before that, everybody they brought was internal. And now they're bringing in some from the outside. And I, I love the focus on hitting right now. I mean, you know, we talked mm-hmm. to Danny Farquhar last week. That was a surprise for all of us that that happened. But uh, he goes out, he gets different experience, and uh, you get him back. And it's it's a great voice And that he's pitched before. It's a different voice. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to see them do that on the hitting side as well and bring in multiple different voices. Uh, I cannot wait to see how this all plays out, how it looks in action. And we'll have all that opportunity with that time down in Peoria to take a look at it, but um, really like kind of the way that they are adding different aspects and angles and experience to this group. I'm glad you brought up Farquhar because there's, when you compare Joseph and Farquhar, there's some similarities in that Joseph really hasn't been out of the game as a player that long. He's been coaching in the minor league system the last uh, three years. And it's similar to Farquhar in that regard. It really hasn't been out of the game pitching that, that long either. So it's interesting that dynamic with those two guys. We're also going to visit with newest Mariner, Austin Voth, really unique guy in that he's been a starter, a reliever. He's done it both. He did it both last year with Baltimore and it's something we've talked about Shannon when you look at the starting rotation for the Mariners it's great like there are no issues with the top five right but as we know and we talked to Justin Hollander about this a couple weeks ago you know you're going to need depth at, at some point and both is just one of those versatile guys that you love to have on your staff they're very sneakily building up depth yeah. both a starter and reliever which you need and it was one of my biggest concerns coming into this season and not just if they lose someone, but what if they do want to give somebody a break? What if they do want to go to a six man for a couple of weeks here or there to protect the younger pitchers, to give everybody a little bit of a breather? Or what if they want to or need to kind of pull back on innings somewhere? They can do that. You've got uh, the both signing. Uh, Trent Thornton is still there. He can do that. De Scalfani as well. So again, I think we're going to see something a little bit different in how they've done things and how it all plays out and how, how it all works. Uh, it will be intriguing, but all of a sudden your depth that when you came into the season was pretty much Emerson Hancock. Mm. You can get that to seven, eight, nine, and they comfortably would like 10 with the starters and they're just, I think doing it in a little bit of a different way right now, but it'll be great that they can contribute out of the pen as well. And with any pitcher that you bring in, particularly a reliever, it's going to be interesting to hear about what do you tweak? What can you make better? You know, what, what do you do? How do you use the arsenal? So those always make for great spring training stories. Yeah. And both of those are a guy who can really spin it. So that makes it interesting with the match with Seattle. Uh, we're going to talk to Kyle Glazier later on too. This is a time of year where we start to see the list, right? Baseball America comes out with the top 100 prospects and the Mariners top 10 is out. And the Mariners got four 
in the top 100, which was pretty great to see. And so we're going to talk about kind of where the Mariners are at prospect wise in comparison to baseball. And, you know, Shannon, as I think about it too, you look at a team like the Rangers last year, who I feel like they were put over the top by a couple of prospects last year with young at third base and Carter coming up and making a, a huge impact in the outfield. So, you know, this isn't just kind of looking off into the future and the distance. Like, I don't know, maybe some of these guys in the top 10 can help in the near future as well. Which will be really fun to see if it's on the offensive side and something that they've been building towards for a long time. This is a completely different look. you got pitchers coming up left, right, starters everywhere, <laughs> and you expect that. And if you talk to people in the organization, they've been talking about the hitters, the young hitters, mm -hmm. for a while. And I get the feeling that they're closer than we think they are, and we haven't been paying the attention to them that we did, say, two, three, four years ago when it was all about the prospects. They've quietly been making their way up the system. It doesn't take as long for a lot of them to get through anymore, so it'll be really interesting to get an outside perspective of that, and great to see four on the list. And to keep that theme going, we're going to talk to a guy that Justin Hollander spotlighted to us and Tyler Locklear as a guy that – Things go well. We could see helping out the Mariners this year. Drafted in 22. Yeah. <laughs> like said, right. Sometimes it doesn't take that long. So really interested to hear from him. He's one of those guys that you see on paper. You read the interviews. Uh, you see the numbers. And this is going to be our first chance to hear a little bit more from him and, and hear what's behind those numbers. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Coming up next, though, we are going to chat with the newest Mariners coach, assistant hitting coach, Tommy Joseph. We'll do that when we return. Hot Stove is rolling. We'll come back with more right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hackback Bar and Grill. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a high fly ball deep to left field. Going back is Gamble to the wall, looking up. Goodbye baseball, a home run by Tommy Joseph. He has just tied the game at 4-4. Four to four. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Great to have you with us. Gary Hill alongside Rick Riz as we welcome in Mariners assistant hitting coach new to the staff, Tommy Joseph. Tommy, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. So how excited are you to join the Mariners staff this year? I'm very excited. There's a, a lot to look forward to, um, but most importantly, I'm just excited to get to spring training and, and meet everybody. Tommy, tell everybody a little bit about Tommy Joseph. Well, we know you grew up in uh, Scottsdale, and you currently live a few minutes away from the Peoria Sports Complex. So tell us all about Tommy Joseph. Who are you? Tell, tell us about your family. Yeah. I'm born and raised here in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, and was fortunate enough to have a great upbringing, two great parents that did a, a wonderful job raising me and my younger brother, um, and then was fortunate enough to have a, a great professional career and I uh, got to play in a few different organizations overseas in Korea, winter ball down in the Dominican Republic. Um, got to be around a lot of great people, great mentors, um, people that really helped me grow up and become who I am. And that's been the, the best part about becoming a coach. I get to rekindle all those relationships on the other side of it. Um, and yeah, just I, I am where I am because of the people I've been fortunate enough to be around. When did coaching become a path for you? Uh, I always knew it was something I wanted to do. As I was playing, I knew that the game was something I, I loved my entire life and that was never going to go away. When coaching became a thing is when nobody wanted you to play anymore, <laughs> right? When you, you start talking to people around the game and they're like, yeah, well, we see a future for you in the coaching role. And 
they stop thinking you as a player and you're just like, okay, kind of see the writing on the wall. And, <laughs> um, and then I was fortunate enough to, to have a lot of good people and mentors around me that helped me transition into that side of it. What, what was the interview process uh, like talking with Jerry DePoto, Justin Hollander, Scott Service, who you've been working with or going to be working with? Uh, what kind of questions did they ask you to uh, make this uh, part of your next journey? Yeah, it was something that came around uh, right around Thanksgiving. I got the call that the Mariners wanted to interview me for this position. And as soon as I got that call, it was just like, all right, automatic. I got to go into research mode. I got I to gotta talk to everybody I've met in the game that I'm close with that I trust about being interviewed. Because as a minor league coach, I'd had interviews, but most of them were casual, you know, phone conversations or interactions. So I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good connections in the game to help me prepare for it. And then sat down on a Zoom call with Andy McKay, Scott Service, Jared DeHart, and Brant Brown. And from when it started, uh, I couldn't have been more nervous. It was the first <laughs> time having a real interview. Um, and they did a great job from, from the start, just helping me relax and kind of settle into it so they could figure out who I was. The biggest piece of advice I was given going into the interview was be yourself. Yeah. The, these people got to know if they can hang out with you for the next 300 days, let alone work with you. And it was probably the best piece of advice because as soon as we started and they made me feel comfortable, it was like, all right, be yourself. And just having that dialogue, we were on a call for about two hours. And then over the course of the next couple of days, I talked to Scott and Andy a few more times and was very fortunate enough to be offered the position. Uh, you're a guy who homered off prime Chris Sale, and I just like the idea of you being nervous in a situation <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if somebody asked you what your hitting philosophy is, what would you say? I think that's just dependent on the hitter. I think there was something I learned a lot through playing is there were a lot of coaches that were very strong-willed about their philosophies, and it didn't matter who you were, how you moved things you thought it was just like it was their way or the highway and I learned that that was not how I wanted to be as a coach there are a lot of different ways to interact with people um, and different ways to communicate with people and get people to just by your verbiage you can almost get the person to move a different way so I believe that the hitting philosophy that I have is just finding ways to get the best out of each player and, and whatever that is you spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and you came up had two, two good years with the Phillies in 2016 and 2017. You hit for power. You drove in runs. And your first hitting coach in the big leagues was uh, a guy who I knew, uh, Steve Henderson. He was our starting left fielder when I got here in 1983. So of all the hitting coaches that you had in the minor leagues and in the big leagues and, and along the way, can you still hear those guys in your ear as you were a coach in the minor leagues the last three years and now a big league coach this year? Yeah, the best coaches that I ever had as a player were the guys that I wanted to almost impersonate, really. I wanted to take what those special characteristics were from them and kind of make it my own style. Um, first and foremost, what they all had in common is they all listened. Yeah, They all didn't come to me just to talk. They, they all wanted to listen. They all wanted to hear where I was coming from. So when I flipped over to becoming a coach, I knew I had to listen. I had to absorb the information that the player was giving me. 
right? If they really wanted to know everything about me, they would just ask me a bunch of questions, right? So the best coaches that I ever had would ask me questions to hear what I had to say and yeah. hear what I was going through. Um, the best hitting coach that I ever had, I give a lot of props to Howard Johnson. Hojo uh, was my hitting coach in Round Rock in 2018. And it was something like I'd never seen with, and I know it was a certain era and a certain time, but he was just completely dedicated to who I was and anything I needed that day, he would do. Didn't matter what it was. We just had this open line of communication that was just very unique and very special. And obviously he was very good. And so he brought a certain insight to that. And then, you know, between him, Jason Wood and, Tim hires, there's a million coaches that really kind of molded who I was as a player. And as a coach, they taught me that there's, there's more than just baseball in this world and it's creating a life and a family and a culture. And, you know, it, it's not just all predicated on some number on the jumbotron or on the back of your baseball card and being around those people and kind of showing their true character helped me bring out my true character and, you know, I'm forever grateful for those relationships. I think hitting is the hardest it's ever been when you look at the history of the game, just because of the just the pure stuff that we see uh, on a nightly basis from pitchers. And you've been coaching now in the minors for a few years. When you talk to hitters and are helping hitters, do you find most of those conversations are about the mental side or are they mostly mechanics? Like, What are you doing mostly to try and help guys through struggles? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's player to player and what they need. You know, I, I think as a good coach, you got to have some soft skills to be able to talk to them, relate to them, have the ability. Because sometimes it's for a player, it's not what's happening in the batter's box. It's not what's happening in the clubhouse. There are a lot of things that happen off the field um, that can kind of get spun a different way and affect the player. Um, so having a relationship where you build trust by showing up every day, willing to work and willing to be around them kind of allows you to build a relationship where it's honest one-on-one -on -one with the player. Um, you get different observations from people that are around the player every day where, you know, some days you got to handle it with mechanics and do a lot of different drills or set up an environment for a player where it's like, Hey, like, you're a superstar athlete. Just like, just figure it out. Right? Yeah. You, you, there's things you got to do right on on their yeah. own they they have to work through major league baseball players are world-class problem solvers sometimes you just got to put them in the environment to do so so yeah i mean i think that's it's just day-to-day -day with with each player and, and handling it certain ways you've seen this ball club uh, the mariners have as you know one of the most exciting players in the game and julio rodriguez uh, J.P. Crawford uh, works account, works in at bat as well as anybody, Cal Raleigh, Ty France. What excites you about uh, this offense and the guys on this ball club right now, Tommy? Uh, the biggest thing that I've heard about the entire team as a unit is they're incredible people. So getting the opportunity to be around a group of people that are determined and have been on the cusp of great things for quite a few years now, mm -hmm. being a part of that to me is one of the greatest honors you can ever have in the game. Right. And getting to learn from them, finding ways to learn from them, to hopefully create more value for them and the team, you know, during the games on and on and off the field 
too. I mean, they're just, they're an incredible group of players and I've been fortunate enough to meet a few of them. Um, and it's, it's been a blast so far and I just look forward to it continuing. I think it's amazing to look at just from the time you got in pro ball and just the evolution and how much things have changed with data and everything we know, how much did you evolve with the data as you move through your playing career and now into the coaching side? Uh, I was well behind the times, like when it started to really kind of become a thing and there were a lot more analytics into it. I was stuck behind. Um, mm. I don't know if it was the people that maybe I surrounded myself with or just like a naive attitude, like it wasn't going to be a helpful tool. And then once it was further explained to me and once I took the time to learn certain numbers and certain um ways to use it it allowed me to be more comfortable with it to use it as a tool versus something that would would hurt me um and it's just what baseball is right now with the analytics and the video and everything it, it's truly an incredible tool so when you're on the coaching side of things you have to be able to almost translate that and use that information and give it to the players in a way that they can best understand and use it for their day is there anything yeah. you wish you would have done as a player as you look back on now? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have enough time to kind of go over everything. <laughs> uh, there's quite a few things. But I, I think the one thing going through it is, you know, it, it isn't going to last forever. And, you know, don't just shut off different windows and things because you don't necessarily believe in it at that time. You know, and I think just the, the more that you can do that as a player and, and be open and listen, mm -hmm. um, you'll do a better job of really finding out what works for you. Tommy, years ago, uh, not that long ago, it was just one hitting coach on a team, but now coaches work in tandem on the hitting side and you'll be working with Jared to heart. What have you talked with Jared about to, to share the duties and how do you both go about making sure that these guys are ready? Like you talked about each and every day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been incredible. I've known of Jarrett for quite some time. I um, had known a few different people in the Mariners organization that have spoken very, very highly yeah. of Jarrett. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to talk to him a lot. I mean, we, we've had a, a great relationship over the course of the last you know, couple months getting hired on. And between him, Brant, and myself, we've had a lot of different good conversations about, you know, being aligned and how we speak and communicate to players. But to me, there's, there's one common goal and that's showing up every day, doing everything you can for the player. And I think the more that the players see that and have already seen that with the incredible staff that has been in place here in Seattle, yeah. um, the more that they're around that every day, the more that they'll, they'll buy in um, on doing their work every day and creating a culture and an environment that, you know, suits every staff member and, and everybody. We're visiting with Mariners assistant hitting coach Tommy Joseph. If you're planning to go to more than one Mariners game this season, consider a Mariners Flex membership. You can choose the games and seats you want all season long, plus save at least 10% on tickets and pay no fees. Check it out at Mariners.com slash flex. We'll come back more Tommy Joseph when we return right after this on the hot stove. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. It's the Hot Stove. You're with us tonight. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, as we continue our chat with 
Mariners assistant hitting coach Tommy Joseph. Tommy, I know you're going to know some of the young players when you get to camp. Uh, you said you were hitting coach of the minor leagues the last uh, three years, two years with the Mets, and last year with the Eugene Emeralds and yeah. the Northwest League. So you saw Everett up there with Harry Ford and the other talented young players. Uh, what did you see mm -hmm. from our eight club uh, last year? Well, being on the other side was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was always a, a constant grind. They did an incredible job having at bats innings one through nine. It wasn't just like they were playing for the big inning. It was a grind through the entire at bat, wow. um, through the entire game, using all fields. Um, and I mean, once I once I yeah exactly once <laughs> I came over here too and seeing the the hitting philosophies and the things that they had implemented and the people around and the culture. You could just, it was like, oh, well, that makes sense why they're so good, right? I mean, obviously, they've drafted well, but they're developing in a way that is very unique and special to to each individual person and the way that they train. And you watch the, the kids at the, the complex and the way that they almost pull for each other and push each other at the same time is something, you know, something to be said for the culture around here and um, you know, I look forward to hopefully getting an opportunity to work with those guys. Tommy, you brought up a good point, hitting the ball the other way. I know one thing the Mariners want to do is cut down on the strikeouts, especially with two strikes. I want to know, Gary asked you about your philosophy about that. You're going to be alongside Edgar Martinez, who was the greatest I've ever seen at that, putting the ball in play. I think he hit about 280 with two strikes. So where are you on that to help out this ball club going in, in, in that direction? Yeah, I mean, it's okay to hit a single. It's okay yeah. to walk, right? Like, you, you have to have the ability to trust the person and the people that are behind you in the order and the people that are on the bench, right? And even the people that are in the minor leagues that might not be there today, but will be there in a couple of days, right? So I think there is a certain way to, to go about that, right? Each player has to worry about themselves individually to make sure that they're prepared and that they have, you know, that club in the bag or that skill set. Yeah. But coming in as a group, you know, it's that, that nine on one past the baton. How are we going to do it together? Right. How, a collective as a group, hmm. how are we going to do it? And I, we definitely have the players to do it. A, a lot of these players have a lot of different clubs in the bag and have the ability to hit a lot of different pitches all over the ballpark. So it will be uh, exciting and, and looking forward to, to watching it. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because when you look at good lineups, the skill sets always vary. I mean, you have some boppers, guys that may strike out more often, some guys that can really fly, put in play. You know, you go down the list and usually really good lineups have some of everything. But how do you put together, I guess, a team identity where you're putting that all together as a group that you're talking about? How, how do you go about that? Well, luckily, there are a lot of really good people around me that have done this for a long time. Mm. And I get to learn from them on different ways to do that. I mean, in terms of an identity, you got to find a way for the players to buy in and take accountability in what they're doing. And they've already done that here over years and years, right? And like, it's, it's to the point now where... Um, you know, you just get in the sense of talking to people like the, the expectations are very high and the work ethic is at an exceptional level. So, you know, with the coaches that we have um, led by Scott, Justin and Jerry, Andy and everyone in the front office, 
and having a vision, right? Almost having that like North star mentality of where everybody wants to go and talking to the players. There's, it, it's a, a fun environment that I believe everybody knows what to expect. Yeah. I like that North star mentality. Uh, every coach draws from their past experiences, especially playing in the big leagues like you did with the Phillies. But I wanted to ask you, what was it like uh, stepping in for a guy like Ryan Howard your first year in the big leagues in Philadelphia where, you know, the fans can get pretty excited about players when they do well or, or not do well. But that had to be something for you to, you know, take over there at first base at that time. What was that like? Yeah, the year that I was called up, was Ryan's last year in Philadelphia. So I had the opportunity to play with him for a full season. And I had known him from spring trainings before, but there was, I never felt the pressure like I was taking over for him or anything by that because Ryan was and is my friend. We created a, a relationship and a bond and I respected him so much for everything that he did on the field, but who he was in the clubhouse and the leader he was and the things that he did in the community. So there was never any pressure in that sense because the Phillies at that time were like, we were kind of in, in a struggle in a yeah. rut from where, when they were world champions and where they were a perennial powerhouse for a long period of time. So, you know, we were just a bunch of young kids trying to find our own identity in the big leagues and it, was it was tough it was really really hard um and it it's a it's truly a, a great city and a fun city to play in you know it, they do such a good job as a fan base supporting you um and, and pushing you and finding ways to where if you're not working hard enough you better look yeah. yourself in the mirror <laughs> they let right? you know so, don't they? Yeah, exactly yeah they do <laughs> let you know but they also respect you for what yeah. you're doing right and that's all you can ask so you know a, a big takeaway is having <laughs> having those years playing in that city and knowing that you better bring it every day, right? Yeah. There's something to be said for doing that. And that's what those great Philadelphia Phillies teams did. And that's what they're doing now yeah. in that city, right? They're showing up every day and there's, there's a certain level of accountability as a player to do it for, for that city. So, yeah, I would say that that is what was one of the main things is you weren't trying to show up in Philadelphia and get embarrassed. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you remember June 28th, 2017, you were with the Phillies? I don't know if you remember this game or not, but Phillies are down, ninth inning, Edwin Diaz on the hill. You homer to tie things up. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember that right after that, we had a uh, a five-hour plane flight to New York, so finding <laughs> a way to, to win that game was pretty important. Just um, going into it. So, but, yeah, no, that was – that was probably one of the bigger homers that I, I hit over my, my short big league career. I didn't, you know, I mean, that was one of those dominant years that he was having. So it was a, a lot of luck on my part. Um, <laughs> and, you know, fortunate enough to win that game before that long flight to New York. That's a good one right there. A home run off of Diaz. What were some of your more fondest memories, you know, uh, your two years in Philadelphia besides that one, that that was a good one. Uh, I mean, just the opportunity to play with some of the best friends that I've ever had and still are in contact with and were able to almost kind of grow in the major leagues and the relationships that you make. Yeah. You know, when we we were not a great ball club in Philadelphia over the course of those years, but 
you really find out who your friends are and people you can trust when you're going through it and you're in the trenches. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to make a lot of good relationships during those times. And that was, that's what I take away more than anything. I mean, the home runs and the playing on, you know, ESPN and all the national games and all that stuff like that was fun and I enjoyed it, but the people that you get to play with and make relationships that last a lifetime, that, that to me is far more valuable than anything yeah. I ever did on the baseball field. Okay. Super important question with spring training coming up. You, yeah. you live there, you're in the area. So, okay. Let's say <laughs> off day in spring training. What's the advice? What are we doing in the desert? What what should somebody do on an off day in spring training? Oh, it's slam dunk the golf. You got to play golf here. The golf courses during that time of year, you just you can't beat it. I mean, it's 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 almost unmatched. It's really good. The only thing you're missing is the ocean. Yeah, yes, that's true. <laughs> got a lot of beach. You're a big golfer. I, hey, I love to play, but I'm not going to say I'm any good at the game. <laughs> You, you played a long time, you know, in the minor leagues. How, how did you wind up in Korea, Tommy? Uh, that's a good question. So one of my best friends, Darren Ruff, played over there for a few different years or a few years in uh, in Korea, playing for the Samsung Lions. And so we would just kind of communicate, talk shop back and forth, how he liked it. Um, him and his family loved it. And then I got to a point in a career where there was interest going over there. And, you know, they, they have scouts and they came out to see me and you have meetings and stuff and next thing you know you get a couple phone calls that there's interest and it at the time you know I wish I could know what I know now <laughs> right but it, it was such a unique experience to be a part of another culture yeah. and how they went about their business and what they cared about um, one of the most unique things over there is how their playoffs are um constructed so how you finish the regular season right there's 10 teams you're ranked one through five the top five make it to the playoffs well if you have the most wins out of in the regular season you automatically go to the championship series you are automatically in their world series wow. so there is every single game matters every single pitch matters every single play matters and it's a very unique environment because there are cheerleaders and there's bands and people yeah. are singing, right? Like it's just like it's almost like an event. And but everything matters, right? I mean, the pitcher's leash, like if he's struggling, all right, he's out. Next guy's in. <laughs> right. Like you gotta you're struggling, you're over 21. Well, you're sitting, right? You better think about it because we're gonna need you to really produce. Mm -hmm. There is a, a level of importance on every day. And I didn't realize I would learn so much from that, but that it ultimately is what you expect in a, in a big league mentality, yeah. right? And how much every day matters because at the end of the season, you look back and you're like, man, you know, maybe a couple of days could have gone our way if we would have fo been focused a little differently or trained or done something a little differently. Right. And it makes you realize like how important every day, how precious every day is. And there's a certain level of accountability as a coach and as a player to show up every day and bring that mentality. Um, and, and so the playing over there has taught me a, a lot more than I ever thought. When you, when you played there, what was the talent level as far as the pitching and the hitting compared to big league baseball? Because we're seeing guys come over from Korea now. 
there's a lot of really, really good players that play over there um, in terms of like how the talent works, right? Like there's some guys that you'll face on their major league rosters that are equivalent to, we can say double A guys. And then there are guys that are on their major league rosters that are major leaguers and have proven that by coming over to the States and playing in major league baseball. Um, so it's just constructed from a, a wide variety because there's still a lot of development happening at their major league level. Right. And, but they, the way that they compete and the way that they show up every day and how they work is incredible. The The culture over there is just an absolute blast to be a part of. Yeah, It really is. It's, it was a lot of fun and, um, you know, made a lot of great friends over there too, that, you know, still friends to this day and still talk all the time. Well, Tommy, thanks for taking all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. This is a fun conversation. We'll see you in a couple of weeks and uh, down in Arizona. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. There it is. Mariners assistant hitting coach, Tommy Joseph, a suite at T-Mobile park, the perfect setting for family celebrations, company outings, client meetings, so much more. Enjoy great catering options, VIP parking, amazing views and a private sky bridge entry. Learn more. Reserve your suite today at Mariners.com slash suites. When we return, we're going to talk to the newest Mariner, Austin Voth, UW star, Started in high school here and now in a Mariners uniform. We'll talk to him about it when we return right after this. The Stove Continues. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Gary Hill alongside Rick Riz. As we welcome in the newest Mariner, Austin Voth, a name that I'm sure you know, the pride of Kentwood High School, University of Washington star. Austin, it's great to talk to you. Welcome back to Seattle. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Hey, what does it mean to you to sign with your hometown team? You know, it's crazy. I never thought this moment would come. You know, it's something that you kind of dream about as a kid. And then I get drafted, go to the East Coast. I spend, you know, 10 years there. And uh, most of the time, it's just over on the East Coast. And now that I have an opportunity to come back to the West Coast and Pacific Northwest and play for my hometown team, you know, it's great. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very happy with uh, being able to sign with the Mariners. Austin, great to have you here. Rick Riz, thanks for being on the show. Uh, you grew up here, born in 1993. So as a young kid, did you ever make it to the kingdom or was your first game at uh, T-Mobile Park? And what's your early remembrances of of growing up here and, and watching Mariners baseball? Yeah, I, uh, I didn't get to go to the kingdom, um, but uh, – I remember going to Safeco Field and um, when I was in Little League and we'd dress up in our uniform and then <laughs> for the game, we'd walk around the outfield, you know, and do that little lap. And and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I remember in uh, 2001 when, you know, the Mariners um, won 116 games. Uh, I went to a couple of those games towards the end of the season. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of good memories that come back to me. Gary, I'm glad he brought that up as a kid walking around because we have those Little League days all the time, about four or five during the year. And Austin, Gary, and I and Aaron, we always talk about, I bet you there's a big leaguer down there somewhere. And <laughs> you were one of those kids, man, you know, walking around the field. Yeah, yeah, I think I did it once or twice, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Who was your favorite Mariner as a kid growing up? You know, there's so many good Mariners. Um, one guy that kind of sticked out to me, um, just because I love the way he pitched, was uh, Jamie Moyer. You know, I loved <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I could never throw the change up that he had, but, you know, just his pitch selection was, 
you know, he didn't throw very hard, but he, he knew how to, you know, pound the zone and, and get guys out with what he had. And I thought that was really cool. Now, I know you've only pitched at T-Mobile Park once in the majors. It was a couple of years ago, but hey, you've had some great baseball memories in that ballpark, including winning the state championship with Kentwood in 2010. Yeah, we uh, we ended up going all the way that year. Um, it was my senior year. We were having a good season. I pitched in the semifinals game, and then uh, I think I played first base in that championship game. I think I was like 0 for 1 with a walk, but <laughs> it was just cool to be able to get on the base and, and run around the bases. Um, I don't think I scored that game, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Wow. So obviously you pitched and played first base too. What kind of hitter were you in high school? You know, I was more, more of a contact hitter. I think I had a pretty good average uh, in high school for my seniors. I think it was above 600, but, you know, when it came to power, I was in a gap-to-gap -gap hitter. I was more just like see the ball, hit the ball, you know, hit up the middle, you know, just get on this type of guy. So um, I kind of had like an inside-out swing. So if you threw me inside, I'm just going to hit it the other way. And if you threw me away, I'm, you know, same thing. I was If I pulled the ball, I was just going to top it. So <laughs> I wasn't the greatest hitter. Taylor Saucedo is on the pitching staff. He's a Tahoma guy. You're a mm -hmm. Kentwood guy. It, is everything going to be okay? Are we going to have any issues <laughs> when when you guys get together? No, I mean it should be fine. I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't think there should be any issues there. I mean, okay, good. Yeah, I was thinking about you talking about 2001, and one of the fun things about spring training is walk around the complex. I mean, it's it's Ichiro, it's Dan Wilson, it's Alvin Davis, it's it's a lot of the former Mariner stars. Who would you love to run into when you're at spring training those first few days? I mean, if Ken Griffey Jr. was around, I'd love to talk to him <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, Edgar Martinez, Ichiro, I'd love to meet all those guys, you know. Um, I'm not I've never been to uh this spring training complex before. Mm -hmm. So uh um everything will be new to me. But uh looking forward to, you know, meeting a whole bunch of new guys. Visiting with newest Mariner pitcher Austin Voth. Uh, Austin, you're part of the Mariners org now. What have the early conversations been like about you, your stuff, your role now that you're part of the Mariners organization? Um, it, it's still pretty early. I haven't had too many conversations mm -hmm. so far. Um, my understanding is that, you know, I'm just going to kind of be um, a length guy out of the pen. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm a I'm a pretty versatile guy. You know, I can start, I can open, um, I can provide length out of the pen. So I, I, I can do a lot of things um, that can help out this team. You were drafted by the Nationals as a starter, obviously, in the minor leagues. You were a starter. And then, you know, you spent a lot of time in the bullpen. When did that transition start uh, in the minor leagues or with the Nationals organization, Austin? Um, I was a starter all in the minor leagues, um, got to the big leagues. I was primarily just kind of like a, you know, extra guy that they would bring up for double headers. And then eventually I got my opportunity to make a start. Um, and then, uh, and then I think that was in 18, 2018 and then 2019 made more starts and got a little more familiar with the big leagues and adjusting to that level and everything like that. Um, and then 2020, they, they allowed me to, you know, be a part of the rotation. Uh, so that's when I kind of, you know, finally got my opportunity uh, and then back in the pen in 21 and 22. Um, but in 22, I was able to make 17 starts with the Orioles and mm -hmm. 
Um, I had, you know, I, I doubled my innings total from the previous year in 22 or 21. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was huge. Just be able to get 17 starts under my belt and, and show teams I can be able to do that. was pretty cool. And going back from a starter to a reliever, how did you add or subtract the pitches going from starter to reliever, cut back in a few to become a reliever? How did you handle that transition going back and forth? I mean, as a reliever, you're not going through the lineup as many times, so you don't have to necessarily show them all different types of looks. Um, I'm a fastball curveball guy primarily, so out of the pen, I would primarily use my fastball and curveball and um, try to, you know, punt all my pitches so that, you know, my fastball and my curveball look the same coming out. Um, yeah. As a starter, you definitely have to, you know, you got to throw to all parts of the strike zone. You got to bust yeah. out changeups and cutters and you got to make hitters uncomfortable so that, you know, they see you multiple times, you're not throwing the same pitches. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've kind of learned for the most part. How did you develop your curveball? I was, I was a slider guy in college and, uh, I got drafted with the Nationals, and I had a high arm slot at the time. I think my arm slot was kind of creeping up from a low three-quarter, and uh, a pitching coach told me, you know, maybe you should start throwing a curveball. And so I started throwing the curveball, and it just kind of really stuck. Um, had success with it, and, and I was able, I've was i always been a guy that's been able to spin the ball really well mm -hmm. and, and uh, just kind of kept going along with it, developed – you know, grip that I really was comfortable with. And, you know, it's it's one of my go-to pitches for sure. And you've yeah. added a sweeper as well. How do you feel like that has come along? And what has that added to to what you want to do? Yeah, it just gives me two, two, you know, different looks. You know, I got a curveball that can go um, have depth and go down. And then I got a curveball that is more horizontal. And, mm. and you can bust that out, you know, when you need to show a hitter a different look. But yeah, the sweeper has been a new pitch that I've started throwing. Um, it's actually, I use the same curveball grip, or sorry, I, I use a different grip, but I throw it the same way I would throw my curveball. Mm. So um, it looks very similar coming out of my hand like a curveball, but it just goes in the opposite, a different direction. Visiting with Austin both. And Austin, uh, maybe it was high school, maybe it was college or the minor leagues or in the big leagues, but who had the biggest influence on you as a pitcher from high school up until, you know, pro ball, there's always one yeah. person that was like influencing me. That was like pushing me to, you know, work harder or work on this or um, just kind of guiding me through this whole process. So I wouldn't say there's necessarily just one person. It's been a culmination of like multiple people throughout my whole career. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity to, you know, have those people in my life and, um, help me get to this point in my career. You know, you've had a nice run the last couple of years with Baltimore, a team that really blew up the last two years, a tremendous run. What, what were those two years like for you being uh, such a big part of what happened in Baltimore? Yeah, it was a very fun, high energy team, very young team. And it was, it was such a, a change because, you know, coming from the nationals, we were kind of an older veteran team. So to go to the Orioles, you know, with, all these new prospects coming up and, and with so much talent, it was, it was, you know, a lot of fun. It was, it, it's fun to see like their transition as they're going from the minor leagues to the big leagues as well. But, you know, each get each game, it's like, who's, who's gonna, you know, 
who's going to take over this game? Who's going to do something big? It was, you know, always someone new. And it was, it was just so much fun to be a part of and, and watch and play for that team. Did you guys see that coming at spring training last year? All those young guys, like you mentioned, coming together, Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, and they got Jackson Holiday on the way. I, uh, yeah, I got, I mean, I got to witness all those guys perform. And, you know, it seems like every game they're doing something special and they're just playing their hearts out. Um, so they, they got a really good team. And, and I feel like with their depth and everything, they're going to be good for a while. When you look at the Mariners and, everything in front of you here. What what excites you about this opportunity playing for the Mariners? Obviously, I get to play at home, but um, this is also a team that is going to be very competitive. Missed the playoffs last year, but previous year they made the playoffs. And, you know, you look at the staff, pitching staff, and so many young starters coming up with so much talent. And then you still have veterans that are there to, you know, help them out. And we can really do some special things coming in the future. You've spent parts of six seasons in the majors now, almost 300 innings of work. Do you have a favorite moment that you've had in a big league uniform? My first win at home, Nationals versus the Mets. That was that was a big one for me. And then there was obviously in 2019 with the Nationals in the World Series, I got to be part of that. I was in you know in the bullpen, uh, wasn't on the roster, but just being part of that atmosphere and just being there to witness the playoffs and the fans and just the competition that goes into the playoffs is just it's so intense it's so great i just can't wait to get back i want to ask you about that 2019 season which the nationals won their first ever world series you were a big part of that run to get to the postseason your last three starts in september of 2019 were outstanding against the atlanta braves the marlins uh the cleveland indians uh, I think you went one and zero with a two one six ERA. So you were instrumental. What was that run like for you to get the Nationals to the postseason uh, in twenty nineteen? I mean, we we were. Uh, I think at the time we were fighting for a wild card spot. So it's like every game was must win, and so each day it, it felt like you were showing up to the ballpark and you're like, "Here we go. We got to win this day. We got to yeah. win this game. We got to keep moving on." and you know, we we had the talent on that team. It was just a matter of getting into the playoffs, and you saw what we could do um, once we got into the playoffs. So, when you go into spring training and get ready for a season like this, knowing that you roll a length guy, do you prepare as a starter, knowing that you're going to have to throw innings, or, or do you prepare more bullpen role? Like, how how do you get ready for a season in that role? It's it's different. It's it's very unique because yeah. Now, in spring training, I'm probably going to be coming out of the bullpen um, in games. So, you know, and providing length, you know, one to two innings possibly there. So you just got to have the mindset, you know, that you're going to throw multiple innings and, you know, whatever happens, if if they need you to, you know, say spot start or whatever, just be able to change on a dime basically and, mm -hmm. and uh, make that change. Gary asked you about your your one game at T-Mobile Park. Hmm. Uh, what was it like to pitch here and with uh, family and friends? How many passes did you leave? How excited were you in that, in that one start uh, two years ago? Uh, what was it uh, against the Mariners? Uh, what do you remember about that start walking out to the mound? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of adrenaline. You know, I remember warming up in the pen and, and seeing a bunch of my family members just watching me warm up. And I thought that was just the greatest thing ever. And had a, a lot of people 
that I haven't seen or talked to in a long time reach out to me and either come to the game or, you know, wish they were able to come to the game. Um, but yeah, I had, I don't know how many people actually came to the game, but uh, I knew I probably had 30 plus tickets that I put in, probably could have put it more in, but uh, at a certain point I'm like, oh, I got to draw the line, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, there was, I mean, just being able to go back and, and come to my hometown you know, pitch in front of my family that, you know, a lot of them haven't been able to see me over the years. It was, it was a great moment. High school coach there, any college coaches there to see his pitch in that game besides your family? I, I had some uh, select baseball coaches there, um, you know, guys that have been an influence on me throughout my journey in baseball were there. So it was, it was cool. I'm sure for them to be able to see me make that moment as well. Thanks a lot, Austin. We really appreciate it. Thanks for all the time tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Austin Voth, newest Mariners pitcher. Now's your chance to lock in the best seats for the biggest Mariner games this upcoming season. Don't miss opening day against the Red Sox. That's March 28th. There's a three-day Julio Bobblehead giveaway April 1st to the 3rd, and you can always get your tickets, see the entire schedule at Mariners.com. We still have a lot to get to. The second hour of the stove coming up. We're going to visit with a Mariners prospect next, Tyler Locklear. He's going to be our guest as we roll along on the stove. Back with more right after this. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. It's hour number two of the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer as we catch up with Tyler Locklear, but before we get to the conversation with the Mariners prospect, let's set the table a little bit. If you're with us in the first episode of this show a couple weeks ago, we chatted with Mariners general manager Justin Hollander, and we asked him who are some of the guys that he's looking at in the system that he thinks can help this team in the near future, maybe even this season. Yeah, we saw some guys come up last year that I think will be in the mix. Cade Marlowe uh, did a great job for us when he came up, and I think Cade will be in the mix for us this year. Uh, Deloach, um, who we added to the roster this year and had a really good year at AAA, is an excellent defender and has got a really well-rounded game. Uh, I think there's D'Lo has a chance to come up and help us. And then um, one of the guys that's probably a more, a more touted prospect that I think you'll see um, maybe down the stretch uh, is Tyler Locklear. Um, he's really, really interesting bat. He's got power. He doesn't strike out a ton. He makes contact. Um, again, the kind of power that we talk about that's like difference-making power, power that you know can hammer the gaps from to all fields, um, can hit it out of anywhere. Um, he's played some third base for us. He'll probably be primarily first base, some DH days. And just the ability to add that kind of bat, I think, in the second half of the year is probably realistic um, and somebody that we feel like has a chance to, to be an impact player in the future. And that's some high praise for Tyler Locklear. Had a wonderful season last year in the Mariners system as we get a chance to catch up with the Mariners prospect. Tyler, uh, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. We know we, we caught you before you're going to practice, so we, we especially appreciate the time. What What is a, an off-season day look like for you? Uh, so it's usually pretty structured out. Uh, I really take about the whole off-season and – kind of structured out for myself uh i'll go i'll wake up usually like nine or ten uh my head i'll eat breakfast and then i have my hitting at 11 usually and then uh go from there and then i go to the field and take ground balls and then after that uh, i'll go do my lift at around four or five uh 
I'll try and find a spot to eat lunch in between those and then go home, uh, eat dinner, and then kind of relax and recover a little bit and then do it all again uh, throughout the week, usually Monday to Friday, and then take the weekends off. Where do you do your off-season workouts? Uh, it's at this place called Absolute Sports Performance. It's about 10 minutes from my house back home in Maryland. And what is this? You you get a winter there, so so how do you how do you maneuver that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's nice to have uh, ASP because it's an indoor facility, so they have batting cages and then uh, the hit trash machines and then uh, a bunch of pitching machines and then they have like a little turf field as well, uh, so I can get my ground balls in whenever it snows like it did uh last couple weeks here. What's the best thing about being at home in the winter? Uh, just being around the family. Uh, you don't really get to see them a whole lot. Uh, they'll come visit for like about a week at a time during the season, but you're away for nine months. So like, uh, it's really good to just hang out and see them and be able to see all the people that uh, you were brought up with. So do you grow up an Oriole fan? I did. Orioles and Ravens right now. So oh, Ravens, okay. We had a okay. big one on Sunday. Yeah, you do. What do you think? Uh, uh, I, this is the one team I was worried about in the playoffs, so we'll see. But it's at home, so hopefully it's a good one. It'll be a good turnout for sure, though. Who were your guys growing up for the Orioles? For the Orioles, it was Manny Machado, Nick Markakis, and Adam Jones. That was like my big three. Did you get to go to the yards quite a bit? Oh, every every summer. Uh, when baseball started picking up, I couldn't go as often. But when I was like probably 8 to 10, I would go probably 10 times a year. And now I try to at least get there once. What's your best memory from, from watching as a fan there? Uh, I was at the Dumb and Young double game. So that's the... That's like my cream of the crop, like best sports moment that I got to see live. I, I know Mariner fans have probably heard your name. They haven't had a chance to see you play. If you described yourself to someone that has never seen you play, how would you describe yourself? Uh, just one of those like blue-collar grinding baseball players. Uh, I'm always going to hustle out of the box, try and take a good at bat, uh, try to be a really good teammate. So no matter how my day's going, I always try to be the first one to give somebody a high five and mm. – uh, just try and hustle and win games. Where does that mentality as a teammate come from? I did breathe. You were a two-sport athlete. You are pretty good at football, too. Yes. Uh, it's honestly just kind of how I was brought up. Like, uh, you're never better than the team, really. So you just kind of have to, like, go with that. And, like, with uh, team success comes individual success. So as long as you're a good teammate, like, uh, everything will kind of fall into place and you'll be able to really do whatever you want. And then, you just gain the trust in your teammates as well. So you don't want to be that guy in the locker room that's like not liked. So I just really try to embrace that as myself. You went to VCU and your last two years there, the numbers are really overwhelming. What clicked for you in college? Because the production is, is ridiculous. You're, you own just about every offensive record in VCU history. Oh, it was just really having good teammates and good coaches. Uh, when I got onto campus my junior year of high school, uh, I saw all the banners in the in the locker room and in the batting practice facility. So I just wanted to kind of come here and add to that. And just having the teammates I had and the coaches I had, uh, we were able to put a plan together through those uh, three years I was here. And then it really just kind of all happened. Uh, it was just a lot of hard work and dedication put into it. What's been your biggest year developmentally as a hitter? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, um, I say pitch decision. That's like, everybody always tells me like the only way somebody's getting you out is if you get yourself out. So 
I really try to hone in on my pitch decision, put a good plan together for the pitch against the pitcher, and uh, just kind of go from there. How do the Mariners reinforce that? Uh, we have pretty much any kind of analytic video, uh, everything that you could ever have against these pitchers. So you just have to really take what you're good at and then kind of apply it to yourself and then uh, take it into the game and kind of hope it works. What do you look at after a game? Uh, I always look at the pitches I swung at and how I did with them. So uh, I just try to make sure I swing at the right pitches, take the right pitches, and then uh, it all depends, like, what happened in the game. So, like, if I swung at the right pitches, didn't have a good day, I can at least come back and be like, all right, just do it again tomorrow and actually hit the ball. So that's really all it comes down to. We hear quite a bit. Um, the Mariners have um... – kind of in recent history been quite the pitching machine and in, in developing pitchers and we see the product at the big league level and it's been a little while since you've seen a big crop of hitters but we hear the internal excitement about that from people in the organization what does it look like as far as you know how hitting is taught the philosophies uh, how cohesive it is from level to level what have you seen in that aspect with the group around you your coaches your teammates and just kind of the overall voice so the groups i've been around uh pretty much everybody's raked throughout the whole organization and everybody like takes it to heart and really takes it personal so uh everybody like is just there working hard and i've really never been on like a bad hitting team here so uh everybody's really disciplined really good hitters really strong hitters and it's really fun to watch, like, when you're on the bench and you get to watch them uh, compete for their at-bats. you especially like to watch? Uh, I like watching Cole Young, Harry Ford. Um, those are, like, my two guys that I was able to, like, come through the system with a little more. So I was able to watch them a little more. And I really like the way that they, like, take their at-bats and how disciplined they are as headers and being able for how young they are uh, to be able to execute them. You had a great year last year. Unfortunate uh, kind of freak injury during the, the course of the season. You ended in Arkansas. How are you thinking about this season for you and what you want to achieve? Uh, I just try to build off the, from the year before. So I'm not really a huge goal setter. Uh, I just try to, whatever the Mariners tell me, I just try to get better at it. So that's really how I take it. What are you looking forward to this spring in Arizona? Uh, just getting back out there. Uh getting to see the big league camp and how they run things up there, uh, trying to be a sponge and learn everything I can from the guys up there, whether it's defensively, offensively, kind of pick their brains, pick the big leaguers' brains, and then uh, take it into the season. Defensively, first, third, you've played a little of both. What are you most comfortable with? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting more comfortable at first. Mm-hmm. Last year was kind of huge for me in spring training, just getting to learn the position and – kind of like what it all takes to be a first baseman at the big league level. So we were out there every day uh, working on different things, and uh, I've gotten a lot more comfortable at first, and I'm really liking first. Well, Tyler, this has been really great to catch up, chance to get to know you a little bit. We can't wait to see you. Just, uh, boy, it's closing in fast. We can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Thanks for all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. There he is, Tyler Locklear. Can't wait to see him in spring. Coming up next, we're going to talk some more Mariners prospects. Kyle Glazier has covered Mariners prospects for a long time with Baseball America. We'll have a wide-ranging conversation with Kyle coming up right after this. 
The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hackback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to The Hot Stove. We have a good friend with us tonight, Kyle Glazer. We've now run into in person, which is great. It's great to see you in person from time to time. Uh, with us tonight, talking Mariners prospects. Kyle, it's great to talk to you once again. How are you, my friend? Doing all right. It's great to see you too, Gary. Just uh, waiting for uh, the offseason to heat up a little bit here since Otani's yeah. It's been a little bit dead, but also enjoying some of the quiet times because sometimes the offseason, everything's so crazy. Don't actually get a break. So for some of us, it's kind of nice. We can, you know, not be checking our phones every two seconds. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you've covered the the Mariners prospects for Baseball America for a long time. What's fun about this time of year, kind of bigger picture, I, I was thinking about now that the lists have come out, top 100 prospects and top 10s for each team. And, you know, I was thinking about the Rangers a lot this past season and kind of what they did to win the World Series. And you know, a lot of attention is the middle infield, of course. You know, they they hit two home runs with their middle infield. But, you know, I think about what they did with the rest of the offense. And, you know, it's guys like Garcia and Haim and Garver. You know, they did a great job of putting together that offense. But to me, what kind of put it over the top was Young at third base and Carter coming up and making such a big impact in the outfield for them. And so when I look at lists right now, and they can all mean something different for different teams. If it's a rebuilding team, it's like, that's your hope for the future, right? And when the Mariners were there, it was Julio at the top of the list. And, you know, now I think about looking at a list like that and from a Mariners perspective, like, hey, who can possibly come up and help this season and put you over the top? Who could be used in a trade? So this isn't, even for competitive teams looking at top tens, this isn't like far away land necessarily. Possibly these are guys we could see in the very near future that could make an impact I don't know, this year, next year, like the Rangers. Yeah, I think with the Rangers, one of the things that really jumped out, and I wrote about this in my World Series story after they beat the Diamondbacks, they really attacked their roster from all angles. You're right, they had the big free agent mm -hmm. signings with Seager and Simeon. They had the really good under-the-radar pickups, you know, Adolis Garcia, Jonah Hine. These were not big-time pickups when they happened, but they really, really paid dividends for them. And you're right, you know, the Rangers were one of the worst drafting teams in baseball for about a decade there. And those picks, you know, Evan Carter in 2020, Josh Young in 2019, back-to-back -back years, completely altered the trajectory of their franchise. Because you're right, those two were kind of the final pieces that really helped put them over the top. And it just goes to show, you can mess up five, six, seven drafts in a row, but if you hit, you know, one or two big guys, it can make a big difference for you. In terms of the Mariners, they've drafted really, really well under Scott Hunter the last few years. And they've also done a really good job internationally under Frankie Thon. I think mm -hmm. the Mariners maybe don't get enough credit for how well they've drafted and developed recently. You know, people talk about the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the, the best organizations, but you look at Julio, you look at Cal Raleigh, you look at Logan Gilbert, you look at George Kirby. I mean, so many guys that they home grew and a lot of other guys they acquired as unproven major leaguers and helped get better from Ty France. Even JP Crawford had not lived up to expectations in Philadelphia and they helped him get better. So the Mariners have a really good development apparatus in place in terms of the guys on their top 10 prospects list. You have to keep in mind that none of the position players uh, that ranked in the top 10 have played above the class A level. Mm -hmm. So I would caution to say, let's give these guys time. You don't want to rush them just for the sake of, oh, we're trying to compete. You really want to give these guys the time to develop their skill set. Look, maybe one or two of these guys does start next year in double A, gets off to a super hot start, 
goes up to AAA, you know, does really well and gets a call up at the end of the year, like an Evan Carter. Um, at the same time, I think given how young these kids are from, you know, Harry Ford and Cole Young and Cole Emerson, Laz Montes, Gabriel Gonzalez, all these guys, I wouldn't count on it. I would consider it like a bonus if it happens, but you don't mm -hmm. want to necessarily count on that because they're so young with so much development left. You know, it's one of those things where you have to assume, okay, these guys are going to need some more time. And if they're able to expedite that, awesome, cool. Looking at the top 100, four Mariners prospects made the top 100. Who kind of sticks out when you look at Mariners and their top prospects? Yeah, so obviously Cole Young and Harry Ford checked in at 1-2. Mm -hmm. um, they're the guys who have gotten up to high A. They've done some good things. They're a little further along. But Colt Emerson, their first-round pick last year, I should say their first first-round pick last year, they had three of them, um, he's really, really on a bit of a rocket. He made his pro debut last year, quickly got up to low Modesto, really was the leader of that incredible second half run Modesto had en route to winning the California League Championship in dominant fashion. And he just, everything was great. You looked at just how he looked, the swing, how he moved, how he took pitches. Just, it, it just looks that beautiful, fast, mm. left-handed swing with some impact, you talk to evaluators who looked at kind of under the hood data, some more analytical types. They loved everything they saw. When we were putting together our top 100 prospects list, one of the processes at Baseball America is all the staffers put together their personal rankings. We kind of combine them. Then we send that list out for feedback across the game to GMs, pro scouting directors, player personnel directors. And Colt Emerson was the one of the num most mentioned guys at move up. I mean, mm -hmm. he's someone that... People from other teams are like, yo, this is a really, really talented player. We think he's going to really take off. And we think so, too. It was a small sample size. It was less than 30 games at low A last year. So you don't want to go too crazy. But what he showed early was super promising. It would not shock me if this time next year we're talking about Cole Emerson as a, a top 25 prospect in the game. Wow. Is there anyone that maybe we're not talking about enough in terms of Mariner prospects? Anyone flying under the radar for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a really good young pitcher who was in the rookie levels last year named Jeter Martinez. Mm -hmm. um, really, really impressed a lot of people, both inside the Mariners organization and, and outside in terms of just, you know, nice, long, loose, projectable pitcher with a really good fastball. Secondaries still have to come a little bit. But when you think about, man, what do you want a pitcher to look like at 18? He kind of checks mm -hmm. every box. By the same token, he's an 18-year-old pitcher yet to play above the rookie levels. And there's 85 million different ways this can go. Um, we know pitchers very, very fickle with injuries or stuff doesn't come or something stalls. But you know, he's someone who right now is on the back of the Mariners' top 30 just because of all those risk factors. But if he comes out, it would not shock me if he came out to full season ball this year and really, really started making a name for himself. Um, he's someone that I think has a chance to really rise up the list this coming year. Visiting with Kyle Glazier, covered Mariner prospects at Baseball America for a long time now. Uh, looking at the division, now you mentioned the Mariners offseason. It's kind of funny. It's difficult in some ways to talk about the season upcoming, given that there hasn't been a ton of movement this offseason. And so it's kind of hard to preview what's coming up. But as we sit now, the Astros have obviously made a move with Hader. The Rangers have been pretty quiet, and the Angels have been pretty quiet. Like, how do you see this division, at least at the moment? Yeah, I mean, look, the Astros and Rangers are still the classless division. The Astros are almost the perennial division champs, and, you know, 
ALCS appearance seems like a guarantee at this point, almost with them every year. And the Rangers, the defending World Series champs. And I do think, you know, objectively, if you look at both the Rangers and Astros rosters, there's just more talent than the Mariners have right now. Again, there's a lot of time left in the offseason for the Mariners to, you know, adjust that. But I think as we sit here on January 22nd, I think if you're being honest, that is the case. And it's hard to say the Mariners, the way they're currently constructed, will leapfrog the Rangers and Astros in the division. That said, this is still a good team. As I mentioned, I don't think they're going to have a terrible year, but I think they're right now, look, they're an 88-win team last year. They were a 90-win team the two years before. I think right now you look at them and say maybe they're in that 85-86 range, which, you know, could sneak into the back of the you know the final wild card spot. We see that we saw the D backs can get in with 84 wins last year and you know reach the World Series. But mm-hmm. um I do think they're the third best team in this division. They're clearly better than the Angels. They're everyone's better than the A's right now. So <laughs> I, I do I do think you know this is a good competitive team. I don't expect them to crater. I don't think they're in for a bad year, but I think right now you look at them and yeah, you see kind of an 85-ish win team and they're going to need more to to leapfrog the Rangers and Astros as those teams are currently constructed. I'm always amazed at what you do, projecting what 16, 17, 18-year-olds at some time, what they can be in the future. Who's a guy, when you look back on on the work that you've done, that you feel great about that you just nailed early on. Maybe you were ahead of everybody else. Like there's got to be a guy that you think about that, that you were just on. Julio. I mean, Julio yeah. is the guy. Um, I remember writing in 2019, an article uh, for baseball America that, you know, when he was at Modesto, Julio Rodriguez turns into a monster. And, you know, I was out here in the Cal league. It was the second half. he had had some injuries that year. So not a ton of people had seen him. And this was one of those guys that made your jaw drop. And I remember getting scouts texting me, like, have you seen Julio? Have you seen Julio? I was like, yeah. And the types of things players and coaches were saying about him and then getting to see him myself. And at the time, there were other lesser publications that had Jared Kalanick ranked ahead of Julio 1-2. We at Baseball America had Julio ranked ahead every year. And it was because we figured out and saw early, I saw early, that this was this was the kind of player he had a chance to be. You looked at his physicality, his ability, his personality, the franchise star that his face is going to be on the billboard with, you know, the five to 10 best players in major league baseball. He's a billboard guy. I identified that back in 2019, you know, well before everyone else. And uh, I look back at my old reports. I'm like, yep, I nailed that early on, early on. (laughs) I would say so. His impact has been incredible. I I think about his, year last year it's funny we were talking to justin hollander recently about it and julio's uh from all accounts just tremendously focused this offseason wasn't thrilled with how last year went which is funny it's a top five mvp season he did every in his second season everything well yet he's he's just on a different level it's been amazing to watch unfold yeah and that's the thing with him too right he's this this big personality who's supremely talented but it's not just show. He works his tail off and he wants to lead his team and put his team on his shoulders. He is the kind of guy that if he has a great season and his team misses the playoffs, he takes that personally. And he's going to work as hard as he can to make sure that he does everything in his power to help his team not miss the playoffs. And again, it certainly was not his fault the Mariners missed the playoffs <laughs> last year. I mean, but that's just his personality. He is the kind of guy who wants to be the guy in the moment who carries his team to glory. And 
A lot of players talk about wanting that, but very few actually put in the work to do it and can deal with the pressure of doing it. It's a rare species that can do that. And Julio is one of those rare guys who has the physical ability to do it, the work ethic to do it, the personality to do it, and the makeup to do it. I remember talking to, even when he was a rookie, I wrote that big Rookie of the Year feature, talking to veterans like Adam Frazier, who've been in the mm -hmm. game for a decade plus, like, yeah, he's our leader. Like, this is the guy, you know, at this young age to have the leadership abilities he has is unbelievable. So I think that's where the Mariners, as long as you have Julio Rodriguez on your team, you should be competitive with just the way he is and, and obviously the otherworldly ability he has. And I guess that's one of the hopes, too, when I look at this Mariners team moving forward. They do have, especially that young core that you talked about, there are steps seemingly for all those guys still to take. And if they all take them, you never know where you're going to end up, especially when guys like Kirby and Julio, whose ceilings seem so high. Yeah. Like, like, I don't even know where to put Kirby and, and Julio's ceilings at this point. I mean, Julio has already become a perennial MVP candidate. Yeah. And, and I fully expect Kirby to, you know, continue to rise and eventually be a guy who finishes top three in saying award voting. Um, that, that Those are their ceilings. And that's why when I, you know, did their Mariners rankings for Baseball America, I put a 75 grade on Julio Rodriguez, which is that franchise caliber superstar. Um, and 80 is a Hall of Famer. I, I couldn't quite put a Hall of Famer on a guy who had never played above <laughs> double A at the time. I, I wasn't that bold, but yeah. you know, I put the 75 on him, which is, yeah, this is your face of the franchise, best player in baseball kind of guy. And Kirby, I put a 70 on, which is that from the rotation starter who's a perennial all-star and competes for Sang Awards. And we were higher on them than anyone else, but I saw it. I did the work. And and again, I've been wrong plenty, but I nailed those two. So I'm I'm happy with that. We We won't talk about the times you were wrong. We don't have to, we don't have to touch on that. Uh, Kyle, thanks for taking all the time today. We should tell everyone you're on vacation too. And you took all this time with us. We, we always appreciate it. Where can people find you? Oh uh, yeah. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer. Uh, follow along there and for all the latest. All right. Thanks Kyle. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks Gary. That's Kyle Glazier looking to bring a crew of 20 or more to T-Mobile Park this season. Enjoy savings on tickets with the Mariners group outing. A great option, schools and family nights, fundraisers, office parties, so much more. Head to Mariners.com slash groups to start your planning today. When we come back, we're going to catch up with Randy Wynn, former Mariner. You know the name, of course. He's in town for a very special reason. We're going to catch up with the former Mariner when we return right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Well, welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. As we have a, a good friend with us tonight, former Mariner, longtime major leaguer Randy Wynn, who will be the keynote speaker at the Mariners' hometown nine diamond dinner coming up. Randy, it is great to see you again. Thanks for taking the time tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited. You mentioned the dinner to be coming back to the Pacific Northwest and, uh, you know, speak in front of some kids. Well, it wasn't that long you were here last. Uh, let's talk about how you got involved, how Hometown Nine got on your radar. Yeah, so I, I've been invited back to uh, some uh, Mariners outings and activities as an alumni here in the last few years. And um, I, I guess as, well, let, let, let me jump back a minute when I finished playing baseball I never thought that I would be as involved in charity as mm. I am um, I'm on the board for the baseball assistance team which is um, a major league baseball charity that helps out members of the baseball family who are down on their luck 
Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of years ago, the San Francisco Giants invited me to be a part of their Giants Community Fund, which their flagship program is the Junior Giants, which is a free, non-competitive baseball and softball program. So helping people, and and especially like the the one thing that really gets my heart going is is kids. And Mm -hmm. even when I was playing, there's a program called uh, Buses for Baseball that was through the uh, Players Association, busing in inner city kids, underprivileged kids to watch games, getting a chance to sit down and you see kids smiles and you feel like you're making a difference. So that when I was playing was always something that, um, you know, you could kind of get my head out of my, my little own world of worrying about hitting sliders and, and change ups and splits and that sort of stuff um, was kids. And so, so now since I've had the opportunity with the giants and I've started my own charity uh, just giving back to to kids and helping out with athletics and education um, has, has been very important to me. And so when I've been up in Seattle, bringing this back to your original question, mm. um, having a chance to see what the Mariners are doing in their community with kids, with sports, with education, um, I got a chance to ask a bunch of questions and I loved all the answers. And I basically said, how can I be involved? Yeah. What has impressed you about what you've seen mm-hmm. from Hometown Nine? Yeah, I, so if, if we talk a little bit about my story without giving my whole life story, um, I, I received zero scholarship offers to go to college. Um, I ended up walking on at Santa Clara, and the thing that got me to be able to showcase my athletic abilities was having a, a pathway through academics. So when when I talk about the importance of academics, it's not just, hey, you should do your homework because that's just the right thing to say. Um, I really believe that because that was my pathway to getting to college and ultimately getting a chance to play Division I baseball and ultimately getting a chance to showcase my talents and abilities against um, some really good players. And that got me seen and drafted and all all that good stuff. So um, I firmly believe in this. I just don't say it just because it's the right thing to say. That's the story of my life. And so whenever I have an opportunity to be involved with programs, and and I call it sports for the right reasons. I think kids should be playing sports for um, learning how to uh, determination, hard work, teamwork, learning how to get along with people that don't look like you, aren't from the same place as you. And, you know, as as you know, playing minor league baseball, you have to take all those things, people that grew up in different parts of the world and don't speak the same language and don't have the same backgrounds and probably not even some of the same belief systems if we're being um, completely honest. Mm -hmm. But you put all that stuff aside and, and come together for a common goal. And that sort of stuff translates outside of baseball mm-hmm. and into business and into real life. Yeah, hearing you talk about mm-hmm. this, this is obviously tied to baseball and tied to athletics, but it is clearly so much bigger than that for you. For sure. Um, no, once again, when, when I grew up, I, I played every sport. It was one of those, what season is it? Oh, it's basketball. I'm playing basketball. I played tennis. I swam. Um, baseball, uh, just just about every single sport that uh, my parents were able to afford to sign me up for, um, I, I was in, and um, and it wasn't to become a NBA player, although I dreamt about that, or become a major league baseball player, although I dreamt about that. But um, you know, now as I sit here as a somewhat mature adult, um, I, I realize all the benefits that I got from playing youth sports. And that's when I, when I talk about sports for the right reasons, it's for all of the great lessons that you can learn and um, all the different people you get to meet and the access, the opportunity that it provides. 
Well, fans know you as a major league all-star, longtime major league player. If they don't know, you were a college basketball player too. You just you were behind Steve Nash. That's all. That was the only issue with your basketball career. Yeah, there, there <laughs> might have been a couple others, but but uh, yeah, uh, Steve is a good friend and uh, obviously a a heck of a a baseball a basketball player. But mm-hmm. you know, even if you look at Steve's story, um, it's very similar to another guy here. I live in the Bay Area, Steph Curry. Um, mm-hmm. Two guys that weren't very highly recruited. Steve was offered one Division One scholarship. Um, you know, if he was playing today in in this uh, era of the portal, we would not have seen him for very long in Santa Clara. But we were lucky that uh, that it was not that time. Um, but he he was a guy that worked really hard, and he mm-hmm. played a ton of sports growing up. He was is was um, still is a very good soccer player. Plays tennis. Plays all types of sports. So, you know, he, he's another guy that I know we, we feel kind of the same way about this passion, but being able to go to school with him and watch him grow and really come into his own as he got into the NBA was fun to watch. Your foundation gave $10,000 to the hometown nine. Uh, tell us more about the foundation and the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I started a, a foundation that's called Medea Charitable with a friend of mine who lives here in the Bay Area, and he is a, a business person. He owns his own business. And um, I was on the board for that business. And uh, the, the short version is that the business started doing really well during COVID when a lot mm. of people weren't doing well. And uh, Brandon Laidlaw, that's uh, the guy I'm talking about. He is a former uh, minor league hockey player. Um, mm. Ultimately took a puck to the eye and you could see how that might derail your <laughs> one's <laughs> yeah. career. Yikes. But, uh, but, but an athlete nonetheless, and a guy that played professionally, and so as he transitioned out, um, understood kind of the thing, same things that I've talked about, uh, sports for the right reasons. And so we were sitting down for lunch during COVID and he, he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I, we are doing really well during a time when not too many people are. Um, I would love to, to give back and start a charity. And so out of that lunch, kind of Medea Charitable was born and we kind of brainstormed on mm. what we felt was the best way where we can make an impact in things that were close to our heart. He's got uh, a, a few kids all um, play athletics. My kids play athletics. Both of us did. So um, we thought that, hey, what better way to, to make an impact on, on kids and the next generation than to help fund youth sports programs? Visiting with Randy Wynn, who will be the keynote speaker at the Mariners Hometown Nine Diamond Dinner. What was it like for you to be back in Seattle during All-Star Week? I, I told my wife when I left, I have not laughed that hard <laughs> and for that many hours straight as I did being around some of my old teammates. Um, Raul Banyas called me to participate in the Futures game. And just our team, our staff was Raul, myself, Dan Wilson, Adrian Beltre, uh, Felix Hernandez, Joel Pinheiro, you know, all guys that I had crossed paths with, shared a locker room with. And we flashed back 20 something years to, to the days of us in the, in the clubhouses and locker rooms. And we laughed and laughed. It was absolutely wonderful. I thought the Mariners did a wonderful job. I thought the city of Seattle did a wonderful job um, showcasing the city. Um, the game was fun. The events were fun. And, and for me, it's always the people and, and running across my former teammates and, and some other former Mariner greats was just a real treat for me. You know, it's funny you mentioned some of those teammates. I was thinking about your 2003 team when you were here in Seattle, a team that won 93 games, second most. And didn't make the playoffs. And didn't make the playoffs. I was uh, thinking about 
it was just the wrong era. I mean, if it's yeah. this era, you win 93 games during the postseason and anything can happen, obviously. But that, that was a really good team when you look back at just up and down. Yeah, that was probably top to bottom, the, the most talented team that I played for in the major mm. leagues. And honestly, one of the closest teams that, that I played for. Um, a, a lot of time spent together away from the ballpark with wives, with um, children. And that was the other part of going back is I, I saw a lot of my teammates now grown children. And I was like, but wait, you were like knee high, you know, wearing a onesie with a binky the last time I saw you. Now you're driving and in college. So um, that was fun see, seeing the families and the wives as well. But, you know, that 2003 team, um, it was on the heels of the 2001 team, which, you know, set records and um, tons of all-stars. And I, I named a lot of those guys, Brett Boone, Freddie Garcia, um, hmm. uh, Jamie Moyer, Arthur Rose, Jeff Nelson, Casas. I mean, it was literally an, an, an all-star team. Mike Cameron, oh my goodness, God, I forget yeah. Cammy. Um, obviously, Ichiro. Just a tremendously talented talented team that you know for me i i didn't get to play on the 2001 team so mm -hmm. i i kind of feel like we were um a bit forgotten because you know we lost to a team that they made a movie about and that was moneyball and you know that they were they, they were also a pretty good team um team to not take anything away from them but i i thought we had a phenomenal team and we would have given anybody room for their money in the playoffs it won't be too long from now we'll be talking about each row getting into the hall of fame and we should. Um, yeah. I Ichiro is obviously a phenomenal player. Um, I was honored to share the clubhouse with him, honored to hit behind him in 2004 when he set the all-time single-season hit records. I tell people that's one of the most phenomenal feats that I, I've ever seen. Um, when people talk about, you know, what are your favorite memories as a player? Um, I have two, and neither of them are my own. One mm -hmm. is hitting in front of Barry Bonds when he broke the all-time home run record. And then hitting behind Ichiro, I was hitting second when he um, broke the all-time single-season hit record. And the thing that's phenomenal about 2004 and Ichiro is that he got off to a slow start. There were people that were saying, what's wrong with Ichiro? Um, the league has figured out Ichiro because I, I'm going to make up a number, but he was hitting 280, right? Like So on Ichiro-like, but for everybody else, oh, that's just a good start. And uh, what he did in the second half, I believe he had three 50 hit months in one season and all kind of towards the back half of the season. Um, I, I have one in my career and I felt like I was getting hits <laughs> every day. I was just waking up hits for balls were falling in. He did that three times in a single season um, just to watch him go on that absolute tear was a real, honestly a real pleasure to watch. I mean, it's amazing. You hit 286 that year, which Everyone would take. I mean, everyone would take that. Yeah, yeah, you were like fifty points behind. I mean, no, well, more than that because I think he hit like three fifty something. Like yeah. it was, yeah, he was he he was really good. And you know, and I, I don't mean to sound like an an old guy, but um, the excitement that he brought offensively with not hitting the ball out of the park was just great. Not only did it, you know it, it helps the team, and if you talk to any pitcher that ever faced Ichiro, he was such a tough out because he'd drive you nuts. Like mm -hmm. he could foul off balls up here. He'd foul off balls off the top of the plate and then, you know, hit a chopper or a single or a line drive. And then he was a threat to steal. He was a threat to go first to third. Um, he was just such an exciting player 
all the way around offensively, defensively. And he did it with flair and pizzazz. Yeah. If people want to find more about your foundation and work you're doing, where can they go? Yeah. The, uh, people can find us on, we have a website. Uh, it's Medea CF, um, M E D E A C F dot org. And then we're also on Instagram at the, the same Medea CF. All right, Randy, it's going to be great to have you back in town. You'll be the keynote speaker for the Mariners hometown nine diamond dinner. And hopefully get a chance to see you during the season again, too. It's always great to see you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Uh, it's one of our absolute favorites, Randy Wynn. Hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with him a time or two this season. Of course, he's broadcasting for the Giants. So at least when the Mariners play San Francisco, we'll have a chance to catch up with Randy. In the meantime, we'll come back and we'll close things out for this edition of The Hot Stove. We'll do that next. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Yes, it's the final segment of The Hot Stove. This has been a fun one. If you missed any of the conversations, you can get everything on Mariner's Pod at some point tomorrow morning. If you missed it, we chatted with Tommy Joseph, the new assistant hitting coach for the Seattle Mariners. We talked to Austin Voth, newest pitcher on the Mariners staff. Kyle Glazier gave us a glimpse of Mariners prospects. We talked to a Mariner prospect as well, and Tyler Locklear. And, of course, we just chatted with Randy Wynn. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great night.